get into the text this morning, I want to encourage you and ask you to turn to James chapter 3, because we're now moving into James 3 as we continue in this series that we've titled Working from Victory. As we've moved through, uh, as we've moved through the text of James, the book of James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, who we talked about before, uh, Brother Garen reminded us of last week, that, this, uh, that, that James was not a believer, that he questioned Jesus, he doubted Jesus, even as his family, he doubted him. And then as Jesus would prove himself time and time again to James and the, and the apostles, uh, James would stand up and become what the Bible would tell us as a pillar of the church. And he would write this letter. Remember, he's writing it to the, those who have been dispersed, those who have been scattered. He's writing it to these Jewish Christians who are in desperate need of some encouragement, who are in desperate need of some, some refocus on the grace of God and how we respond from the grace of God, from this place of victory, understanding that because Jesus has done a mighty work in my life and for me in my life, that I have a platform at which to stand out of, that I have a place of confidence, a place of courage to step from. And so that's what James has been calling us to as he's shown us these works, as he's shown us the work of our life, the outpouring of our obedience through, through, through God's calling and through God's will in our life, that, that from this place of victory should be spilling out of us this obedience because of what he has done for us, not to gain what he has done for us, but because of what he has done for us, that there is this, ex that not so much an expectation from God's part, but there should be this expectation from within us that God has done something for me and through my workings, others are influenced. And that's been where we've talked about and we've talked about our hearing. We've talked about our doing, being doers of the word, not just hearers, but we did talk about listening. And then we've talked about, uh, you know, just working out uh, these things that are deeds, that are works, that they, they should be a representation of our faith and our faith lived out in front of us. And, and, and Brother Garen gave us some examples, some unbelievable examples of two completely different people last week with Abraham and Rahab, one being born of this lineage that God would say, I would bless you and make many nations from you. And then the other one being a harlot or a prostitute in this place that God would allow to come into his family through faith. You know, and so these works of faith that we see that, that have been laid before us. And as we move to this morning, we're going to see another example of what uh, uh, of what James is calling us to in this work of faith in our life and specifically in the way that we speak. Specifically in the way that we speak, the way that we speak to ourselves, the way that we speak to each other, the way we, the way we speak, uh, the words that come out of our mouth. And so this morning, uh, you know, I like to kind of try to sum things up in one sentence, something to leave us with uh, that we can take and just really simplify the message as a whole. And this is the idea that I'd like us to kind of grab onto as we move through the text this morning in James chapter three would be this very sentence right here. Let our speech be sanctified and satisfying not suffocating and senseless. Let our speech be sanctified or set apart and satisfying, not suffocating and senseless. That we would have a speech that is set apart, that is praising and providing, that it has intentions, that it is not just empty words just spoken and spilled out, but that the, the, the motive behind our words has intentions and that we would see this through the lens not only of our spoken words, but because we live in an age of digital media, that we would remember this in our uh, online presence also. Because, you know, for a lot of us, we, we speak not only in what we physically say, but we also speak in what we say on social media, right? And the way that we portray ourselves, the way that we uh, inter interact and engage with people. And so as we, as we talk through these things this morning, I pray that you would also see it through that lens, through your, your online presence and how we, how we handle ourselves with our words. 
Okay, And so uh, there's a couple of things that I want us to see this morning as we'll read the text this morning. and We'll see what God's got for us. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that we would understand the weight of our words. And then the second thing that we would understand the work of our words and how that comes to be and how God intends for that to happen. <clears throat> and so I want us to pick up this morning in James chapter three. We're going to read verses one through 12 together and then we'll talk through them together. All right. So James chapter three, starting in verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we will all stumble, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is a forest set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour, for, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning is the weight of our words. James does a very good job in this beginning section of James chapter 3 of laying before us how heavy and how weighty our words are. And that we don't always treat them that way. We always allow our words, I think our words, and we'll kind of talk about this moving on. Our words are one of the easiest things that we kind of let go of sometimes. And so what James wants us to do before we kind of begin to visualize the works, he wants us to see the weight of our words, how those words affect people. And then when we think about this, we think about this in the context of our relationships and in, in, in our influences, in our workspaces, in the places that we're at. We think about and consider the weight of our words. And James is wanting to make sure that we understand that. Uh, and, and, and the first thing that I want to see there in verse one, I love how he says this. And, and I think we need to address this verse here in verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that you will be judged with greater strictness. And so obviously we understand, but the Bible tells us that the, the teachers, preachers, those type of people, they'll be held to a greater strictness because of the things they say. And he calls them. And he's also saying this in relation to the religious leaders, because like we've talked about before, they were very hypocritical. They would say one thing and then live a different life. And so he's telling those people people from that lens, he said, you will be held to greater strictness as teachers. And so a lot of times we read that verse and in those verses, and I think we feel like we we are able to escape that. Right. It's like, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I don't do Sunday school. I don't do anything like that. So so I'm safe from that. But I don't want to let us off that easy. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, yes, there are those who are gifted and are called to teach and to preach and to do those types of things. But in reality, aren't we all teaching in some way, shape or form, right? Aren't we all indoctrinating someone with the way that we talk, with the way that we act, with the words that we say, with the words that we type? 
Aren't we all leading in some way? And we are. And so in that sense, none of us can really escape the weight of the, the strictness that is applied to the teacher. We are all teaching. If you're a, a, a father, a mother, you're teaching. If, you're, uh, if you have uh, co-workers, you're teaching by the words that you say and the way you're teaching. You're indoctrinating them based off of your beliefs. And especially if we call ourselves Christians, who are the people that James is writing to right here, he's telling them that there is weight to your words and that you are indoctrinating. You are teaching people about the faith that you believe and hold on to based off of the things that you're saying. Every word that falls out of our mouth is teaching something. So we are teachers. Every single one of us are teaching something and that we are leading someone and that we all teach by what we say. That we all teach by what we say. Especially, you know, as parents, your kids. You are teachers to your kids. You are, you are, you are and will always be the most important preacher in their life. It doesn't matter what church you go to or what Sunday school class they attend. They're going to listen to talks. They're going to listen to teachers. They're going to listen to preachers. You are the most important teacher preacher in their life. And the things that you say to them will hold more weight than the things anyone else ever says. And the things that you do will hold more weight than anyone else says. And for us as parents, we have to take that into consideration. That we are indoctrinating, we are teaching our children. And that God has given us that task. God has laid that before us. And the good thing is, the next verse should give you some hope. Because I know in our minds, a lot of times we're thinking, well, yeah, I'm not qualified for that. That's not me. I, I'm not good enough for that. I don't have any place for that. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not able to bear that. Well, then in verse 2, he, he, he levels the playing field a little bit. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. Listen, he knows you're not perfect. He knows that there are a lot of ways that you won't be a great example. There's a lot of ways that I am not a great example. But remember, we're depending on something much bigger than ourselves. We're working from a place not of my own victory, but of Jesus' victory, Right? And so the power at which we step forward in is not my own, but it's in the power of the Lord. And we'll talk about this a little further as we move on. But but that God calls us to understand as he's as he's leveling out this playing field. And as he continues to talk about there in verse two, he says for the man who who is able to who does not stumble in these ways, uh, that he is a perfect man, that he is a perfect man. And so the thing we have to understand about this is, first off, is that God understands that not single one of us is a perfect man or woman. And that even in considering these words, when he's talking about this, he's more speaking of spiritual maturity. That as you're able to control the words that you say, control the things that you do. And remember, anytime the Bible talks about perfect or being perfect, it's more talking about this progressive uh, perfecting. That God is perfecting us, that he is working on us, that he is molding us. And that perfection is not something we attain in this lifetime. That perfection is something we obtain when we're glorified in the presence of our Savior. And so he's calling us to this spiritual maturity, to this place where we're attempting, where we are working towards controlling our tongue. So this is this place, this is this work that he has called us to, not to earn salvation, but that is a reflection of our faith. That is a reflection of our profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, that we are stepping in this working where we are controlling our tongue. And then he begins to kind of lay out this illustration for us. He lays out these two illustrations where well, the first one he talks about is, is he talks about a horse. He says the bits uh, in verse three, he says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So he's continuing to tell us the weight of the words. And he uses an illustration of the bit that goes into a horse's mouth that the reins are pulled and steers the horse one way or the other. And so he says that bit in itself being smaller than the whole 
can control the direction of the body, that it can control the direction that that horse is going. Even though the power isn't in the bit, even though there isn't size in the bit itself, that bit has the ability to change and move and motivate the trajectory of that horse. And so is it our tongue, the way that we speak. James showing us the weight of our words and how important, how valuable they are. That we should never neglect to see how important our words are. And he shows us that this in, in this illustration, that even though the horse is bigger than the bit and the one controlling the bit, the, the, the bit leads, the bit leads. And then he goes to another illustration and he says that there are ships and, you know, considering these ships in verse four, he says, look at the ships also, though they are so large and they are driven by strong winds and that they are, they are guided. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he shows us this other illustration that, that there's this massive ship and that the power that is moving this ship isn't even the power from within the ship, that this power is an external power moving the ship, but the rudder itself, this small little guide, moves the ship where it should go. And that even if there's a strong enough power from the outside to move the ship, to push the sails, that the rudder itself will be the thing that determines the trajectory of the ship itself. And what I think is very interesting about this is I think it's, it, it's a really cool illustration that he decided to use. And he used these two different things. And a lot of times I've looked at this and I've just, you know, just saw it as two kind of a, the same weighted illustrations. But in reality, he's showing us two different illustrations. One, when you consider the horse, a horse was more or less, unless it was dragged by something, but for the sake of the illustration, just imagine it as just one single horse, uh, that the horse could only carry one person really, right? So he's speaking of kind of the weight of one, one entity or one person being influenced. But then he talks about a ship. And, and no ship can truly function without more than one person on it, right? And so he's given us these two illustrations that not only how our tongue or not only how this thing influenced just one individual, but how considering the illustration with the ship where this rudder moves this massive body that isn't only just one person, but it influences and brings about it a whole collective. And so that's where for us as a family, for me as a husband, as a father, the illustration would apply more as the ship, right? My tongue influences and directs the direction of my whole body of my family. That it influences my, the Bible tells me me and my wife are one. That it tells me me and my wife are one. And, and, and my words, my speech directs and, 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 and draws the line for where my family will go. And even though these things are big, even though the, the horse is stronger than the rider, even though the ship is bigger than the, the pilot of the ship, we have the control. God has laid that control in our hands. And so he continues on and he just reminds us again that the tongue is small, yet it boasts great things. And the thing about a ship or a horse is they both need to be led, right? I mean, you know, if a horse race was just a race out into an open field, the horses would just run around until they were fatigued, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't get anywhere. They wouldn't go anywhere. 
A ship going in circles will only waste supplies. It will only waste resources. It won't accomplish anything. And so what's beautiful about this illustration and what God is really revealing to us, what James is showing us is that our tongues, the way that we speak, the words that we say, the way that we're perceived by the words that we type to the world around us, that they will be a guide. They will be a determining factor. They will control the way we experience our journey in life. They will, it will control our, our progress in life as Christians, as, as husbands, as, as, as individuals in life. It will control our progress and it will control our discovery. The same way a horse that travels or a ship that travels, it is bringing an individual to a place, right? It is bringing us to a location. It is bringing us to a destination to discover things. And in the same way, our tongue is a vital part of the way that we grow and the way that we live and the way that we develop our families spiritually and how we influence and, 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 and motivate and move with other people. Sorry, dry, dry throat this morning. But he wants us to understand this, <clears throat> that the way that we use our tongue is able to, and this is very important for us, the way that we use our tongue is able to bring us into great growth and maturity are massive destruction and disorientation. If a horse isn't led, it wanders until it's exhausted. If a ship has no direction, has no guide, it's surely to crash at some point, right? So in the same way, our tongue can actively participate. The way that we speak to people, the way that we talk to people, the way that we act, the way that we're represented by the words that we say will determine how we grow and move and motivates. Uh, Solomon says this in Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. He says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips, giving, surrendering his lips. He says he is satisfied by the words that he says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. He tells us that we can actually be satisfied in our lives by the way that we speak to people, about people, the way that we speak to ourselves, the negativity or positivity we allow to pour out of our mouths. He says we can be satisfied by that. We can be provided for by that. You know, because we can't neglect to see the importance in our words. We can't because so much of the Bible is dedicated to that. And Solomon himself wrote so much about this through the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. In Proverbs 17, 27, he says this. He says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And so for us, because our words can fall out of our mouth so easily, he tells us to have control of the words that we say. To have control of, you know, there have been times in, in, in marriage counseling, those types of things that we've had where, you know, we've, we've tried to encourage and even in our, me and my wife's own things that we've worked through, you know, having, trying to be very mindful of the words that we allow to come out of our mouths. To be very mindful of those things because of the weight and the heaviness of our words. The words can hurt, right? The words can, can cause damage. The words can do, do massive destruction. Or, or in, and in this case, as we've been talking about this morning, the words can develop and grow our relationships or they can completely destroy them if we don't allow control and consider our words before we let them pour out of us. And that's why social media and those things can be very dangerous because it's so easy to make a social media footprint and just spill our anger. You know, this teacher that's done this to my kid. Oh, they're going to know about it. Everybody's going to know about how much I hate this school. I hate these teachers. I hate the thing that they do. I hate my job. I hate my boss. I this and that. And we throw those things out there and they can be so vicious and they can be so, so, so just un, uncontrolled. 
And, and James is calling us to be a people who are in control of our tongues. And remember, that's not only in what we physically say, but it's in the speech that we put out there in our media age. And he continues on another Proverb 18.6. He says, a fool's lips. I love this one. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. You know, that's that loose lip that just pouring things out of we're asking for trouble. He says, he says, we're asking, we're asking for a beating. We're walking into a fight when we don't have control of our tongue. Ecclesiastes 5.2, he says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Control of our words, control of our tongue. Psalms 141.3-4, David's prayer, I love this. He says, set guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of, of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with the wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. I love that, that prayer. You know, and, and, and there's so much, there are going to be several other Proverbs that we read, but just, just James wanting us to understand and Solomon. Solomon wanting us to understand the weight of our words. It's very significant that Solomon would write so much about the word. I mean, there's a whole chapter of Proverbs written specifically to the lips and to the words that we say into our tongue. And the thing we have to remember about Solomon is that Solomon would know better than anybody. And I don't know if you know much about Solomon, but Solomon had 700 wives, 700, and 300 concubines or legal, legal partners that lived within his, his home. Or compound. I mean, to have a thousand women living in your home, it'd have to be a pretty big place. And so Solomon, more than anybody, knew how much the weight of your words matters. Amen, men? Because you say something, your wife's not going to let you forget about it. You say something wrong, they're going to get you. Not my wife. She would never do that to me. But they're going to remember. And, and a thousand women in his home, this brother knew about the weight of words. And so he's trying to teach us something. That our words are important. So the second thing this morning, not only do we understand the weight of our words, but we understand that our words, that there is a work for our words that he intends to happen. And that can happen if not controlled. Picking up in verse uh, verse five, he says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Our words have the ability when uncontrolled to destroy to destroy. They can change the landscape around them like a fire. They can suffocate life. Proverbs 16, 27, he says, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. You know, I was doing some research this past week and it, it said that 85% of forest fires are caused by small man-made sources. Whether it's a campfire, a cigarette, uh, some type of electrical thing, some type of piece of equipment that sparks. 85% of major fires that cause major destruction are caused by small, tiny moments of uncontrolled actions. And it's the same way in regards to our tongues, the way that we speak, the way that we talk to our spouses, the way that we talk about people or to people. That it has this power in our lives and in the world around us to destroy. It has the power to be to hurt. And, you know, and for us, we have to even understand, even consider in this illustration of forest fires, that even if we're not directly burned by it, we are hurt by the heat of our words sometimes. Right. 
Because if we allow the speech and the, the, the negativity and the, and the criticism to just pour out of our mouths without being intentional, without being gracious, without being merciful. I mean, think about it in the course of a marriage. I mean, even if you're not the one being affected by it, if you're constantly pouring out without thinking or considering your words, pouring out these things on your spouse, even though you're not being burned by it, it is inevitable that the heat of those words are going to melt and mold the makeup of your relationship, right? They're going to melt it. They're going to mold it. They're going to they're going to manipulate. And, and even for us as individuals, if we're and I've been uh, I've been so bad at this before in my life, where if we're constantly speaking negativity, what's our mind going to start to think? Negativity. Right. And I'm not saying being positive, uh, being like naive and, and ignorant of things. But if we're constantly speaking negativity out of our mouths and into our lives, the heat of those words is going to start to manipulate our minds at some point. And we are going to think and see and approach everything in a negative light, a critical light, especially if we're being critical of other people. Ninety percent of the time, the criticism that we're applying to other people, we're applying that criticism back to ourselves by tenfold. And so if we can approach the way that we speak or think or talk about other people differently, it can affect it can change the way that we're affected by it and change the way that our lives move and motivate. Continuing on in verse seven, he says, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can and has been tamed by man. And so he's telling us, hey, look, wild animals have been tamed by man. Think of the most wild animal you can think of. And, and, and for us, he wants to continue on. And he says, but the tongue, no one has tamed the tongue. So even the wildest of animal has been tamed and he tells us that no man can tame the tongue. And what he's doing is he's he's not telling us it's impossible. This isn't our excuse. But he's showing us that a tongue that is not constantly controlled, not constantly pressed down on, not constantly considered. To not allow anger or emotions or in our weakness lack this control that takes away our sanctified speech. He says it's wild. And we have to remember that. Continuing on in verse eight, he says that it's a restless evil. It's a restless evil and a deadly poison. And I love this second illustration that he uses right here. The first one, he used a fire. You know, a fire is very external. Fire is very consuming. Fire is very, very visible. But poison works a little differently, right? That our words, he says, are like a deadly poison. And the thing about poison, how it's different than fire, is it's more deceptive. That it works secretly within us, slowly, and then kills us. Which I think this is probably, in relationships, maybe the biggest. And I say relationships, husband, wife, friendships, different things, uh, work relationships. This is probably the most common one in relationships. That we plant these words, we, we speak these things, we speak this poison out of our mouth without adequately thinking and considering about things before they come out. And we begin to poison Ourselves begin to poison our spouses, these individuals that we're speaking to or speaking about. You know, and so this poison begins to 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 eat at us. And, and most of the time, this type of talk, this restless evil, this deadly poisoning, this fire, it comes from this place of pride and self-indulgence. It's harmful. But whenever Jesus, whenever James even here is calling us to this place to be speaking from a place of faith, it's from a place of self-denial. And that's helpful. He wants our speech to be more helpful than hurtful. But there's this fine line because it takes control. And not only control, but first off, because we know he's talking to believers, it takes the spirit of God within us. It takes first a foundation of faith in Jesus because no man can tame the tongue on his own. We need God's help. We need the spirit of God to, to, to sanctify our minds, to set our minds apart, to transform our minds, to show us how I should be speaking to my spouse, 
how I should be speaking to my, my kids, how I should be speaking to my patients that I, work, that I work with, how I should be speaking to my coworkers, how I should be speaking to individuals. You know, because the thing is that there are some things that are only poison depending on how they are handled. You know, and so when our words are a deadly poison, our words are only a deadly poison depending on how they're handled, right? Because in reality, uh, good things can be poison to certain individuals. Like sugar can be poison to a diabetic. If they pour that in without consideration, without control, it can become a poison to their body. You know, oxygen, if not used properly, can be a poison. Medication not used as directed can be a poison. Too much exaltation and human praise can be a poison to a person's pride and building us up to prideful and humanistic ideas. And so there are all these things. Our words can be a poison if not controlled, if not considered, if not motivated and moved by the Spirit of God in our life that can cause damage. And then he begins to move into this place, and this will be our challenge here this morning. As Christians, he calls us to this place of how, how we should be. He calls us to some consistency. He calls us to truly evaluate the things coming out of our mouths and, and, and that we are speaking. He says in verse 10, he says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be so. Does a spring pour out? Uh, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt in a salt pond yield fresh water. He contrasts this fresh and salt and how that contributes to the life and the growth of things around it. He wants our speech to be consistent with our faith because it leads to life. You know, salt water will not supply the sustenance that a plant needs. It needs fresh water, right? It needs fresh water. And so that's what he's been. If we want to speak life, it has to be a certain way. It can't be mixed it can't, be, it can't be salt. He says it's got to be fresh. It's got to be from this place where Solomon would tell us in Proverbs 18, 4, he said the words of a man's mouth are a deep waters and the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Proverbs 10, 11 says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals evil. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Isn't that beautiful that he tells us that our words can literally lift the weight of anxiety out of somebody's heart? That if we would speak words of encouragement, positivity into somebody's life, encouraging them and just showing love to them, gracious and merciful to them, that it could lift anxiety, it could lift worry right out of their heart. We get to actively participate in that. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like a sword, like a sword thrust. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. That our, our words can not only lift anxiety out of somebody's heart, but it can bring healing to broken hearts. There, 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 there's a work that our words can do. I mean, just think about that. Just sit back. Many of us here are married this morning, but just thinking about that in, in your, your relationship with your spouse. If we were truly to consider, I mean, consider the things that just break you apart. I mean, because in reality, our spouses, you know, as spouses, we can really tear each other down better than anyone else can, right? If we don't think about our words, if we allow our anger, our emotions to get the best of us, we can be pretty, pretty horrible to each other. But he calls us to this place where we, we consider and control to this place where we can actually alleviate uh, uh, weights of anxiety from each other. That we can bring healing to brokenness that maybe we've caused in each other. That we can supply these things with each other if we consider our words. Proverbs 10.21, he says, The lips of the righteous feed many. 
But fools die for lack of sense. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul would say this, let your speech always be gracious. And remember, we're not only talking about the words we say, but the things that we type and put out there for people to see. He says, always let it be gracious. Seasoned with salt or considered and thought over so that you may know you ought to answer each person. So why is this important for us? He's called us to be compassionate, contemplating the words that we say. Why is this important for us? Because our words do so much. Our words do so much. They have the power to to cause immediate or long-term effects. I mean, we can see that if you look up research. You know, verbal verbal abuse is one of the most highly uh, types of abuse now. Emotional abuse from the words that we say. I mean, people, kids, individuals can be scarred by constant barrage of words, of hurtful words, negative words. Relationships can be destroyed by the words. Our words hold so much effect. They can be immediate or long term. They can destroy, they can build up, they can encourage or discourage. Our words are meant to work for God and for others, not against them. Our words are meant to do a work in people's lives. And then uh, I love this quote, you know, kind of even speaking to it in a, in a sense of our relationships. Gary Chapman, he's the author of a book called The Five Love Languages. Maybe you've read it, but he said this. He said, our words are bullets or seeds. If we use our words as bullets with a feeling of superiority, superiority and condemnation, we are not going to be able to restore a relationship to love. If we use our words as seeds with a feeling of supportiveness and sincere goodwill, we can rebuild a relationship in a positive and life-affirming ways. Bullets or seeds. I love that illustration. How are we using our words? Proverbs 26, 20 through 21, Solomon again, he says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. So he tells us our words feed into it. Our words feed into the effectiveness and the growth of our relationships. And so for us this morning, I want us to realize this and we'll be done this morning and we'll pray. But we have to understand it begins with our heart. The words that we say, church, like we said earlier, it begins with our heart. If we are rooted in the things of the Lord, then our words will be the fruit of our fellowship with Him. Everything we say and do Every work we do, like we've been talking about, comes from this place of victory. It has to be from Jesus. It has to be from the Spirit of God that leads us into these things. Luke 6, 45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Church, the shape, the health of our heart determines how we speak determines how we think, determines how we affect and influence others. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance or watchfulness, for from it flows the springs of life, from our heart. Matthew 15.18 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and it defiles a person. If our heart is rotten, if our heart, and the Bible tells us this, that our heart is deceitfully wicked without the Lord. That it's always going to fall to selfishness. It's always going to fall to self-indulgence. It's always going to fall to self-preservation and self-centeredness. He tells us that everything that we say and do starts from our heart. And if our heart is not rooted in the Lord, then it will not show the fruit of that. And the growth and the development and the encouragement that we try to do. And so for us, 
I would ask us to do these things. I've got five things this morning that, that aren't original to me, but I think these are really great things as we consider our speech, as we, as we seek the Lord to, to change the way that we talk, to change the way that we, we, we use our tongues in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, with our kids, with the people that we're around. These five things this morning. The first thing being give our heart, our mind, and our tongue to the Lord daily. Give our heart, our mind, and our tongue to the Lord daily. Giving it to Him, letting Him have that control, surrendering that to Him. Laying that before Him. The second thing, that we would pray for the awareness of our words. We would pray to be aware of our words. That we would consider every word that comes out of our mouth and not allow things to just fly out. That we would listen and think before we speak. That we would pray for awareness of our words. The third thing this morning, surrender your right to complain. You know, there are a lot of situations where we have every right to complain about the bad situations that are going on around us. And I love this, that it calls us to just surrender your right to complain. Choose not to complain when you have every right to complain, maybe about the, something your spouse has done to you, something at work, something with your kids. You know, and, and I needed this. I need to remember this. Choose not to complain. Choose not to complain. That's not being ignorant or naive of the things that are going on around you. Just choosing not to allow that negativity to fall out of our mouths. Surrender your right to complain. The fourth thing is to ask forgiveness for unloving words or attitudes. Don't be afraid. You know, that's the biggest thing we can do in humility as Christians and believers is apologize when we've misspoken. Apologize when we've put something out on social media that we shouldn't have. When we've attacked somebody. When we've lashed out in anger or emotions that we would ask for forgiveness. Showing that humility, acknowledging that we were wrong. That's the great, forgiveness is one of the greatest things that we can do as Christians. And for us, if we've received forgiveness, we constantly need to be asking for that forgiveness because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. Ask for forgiveness for unloving words and attitudes. And the last thing is to practice speaking words that encourage, comfort, edify, and inspire. Practice speaking words that encourage, comfort, edify, and inspire. Use the people in your immediate life to practice those things. Use your spouse to practice those things. Use your kids. Use your coworkers. Use your, your nieces, nephews, whoever it may be. Use people in your life to practice speaking those words too. You know, because God wants a man. God intends to use us for so much. And it's through that, it's through that intention with our tongue that we can make a difference in our relationships, that we can make a difference in our lives and the people that we influence and encourage in our life. I mean, there's so much that we have to understand, not only the weight of our words, but the work that our words can do when they're controlled, when they're motivated and moved by the power of the Lord in our hearts. That when we're constantly allowing God, God surrendering our hearts, allowing him to work on it, just feeding ourselves. You know, and as a Christian, if our heart feels far from the Lord, then we're seeking him. We're asking for forgiveness. We're drawing near to him. And that, that, will begin to, that we will begin to bear fruit because of our, the state of our heart. And so that, I, I ask that we would pray that this morning. You know, and like I said, this all begins with the spirit of God living in us. And so I ask you this morning, if you have not received that, accepted the presence of God's Spirit within you, the repented of our sins and just called out to Him this morning, I encourage you to do that. That is the beginning. Because then He takes our, our heart, our heart of stone, our dead hearts, and He replaces it with a heart of flesh, a living heart. And then from that heart can begin to grow the fruit of that relationship, the fruit of that foundational trust in the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to do that. 
And as a Christian this morning, if you feel like the state of your heart is a little sick, a little deprived uh, of, of, of nourishment, then my, my prayer for you and my, my, my hope for you to pray this morning is, God, restore my heart. God, develop my heart. God, and let the speech that I make, let the things that I say be a reflection of the state of that renewed and rejuvenated and refreshed heart. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I just ask for you, God, to just peer into our hearts this morning, God. What is the state of our heart? God, have we not fully put our trust in you as our Savior and that we still have heart of stones this morning that is not bearing fruit? Father God, I pray for the confidence for, for that individual or those individuals here this morning that they would put their faith in you, trust in you for salvation, to begin to have a new heart, a heart of flesh that can begin to bear fruit in our relationships and our lives by the things that we say and the things that we do. Father, and I pray for the Christian here this morning whose heart is deprived of, of nourishment. Maybe they've just been distant from you, from seeking you, from being intentional about controlling their tongue or controlling the way that they speak, the way that they act. God, maybe their, their lives are overcome with so much negativity, so much complaining, so much criticism, maybe even towards themselves, maybe not even towards other people, but maybe towards themselves. Father God, I pray this morning that they would seek you and begin seeking you for restoration in that. God, that you would refresh and replenish their heart. God, and, and use them in a mighty way in their families, in their, their places, in their spaces, God, in this church, in Carlsbad Community Church, in our, in our community of De Quincey, God, that we would be an influence and that people would know who we are because of how we love and how we speak and how we treat and how we act towards other people. Father God, remind us of these things. Don't let them leave us too easily. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church.